Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start in that 24th verse this morning. And read to the end of this chapter, Lord willing, we will finish this chapter together this morning. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it reads like this. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. Working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Father, this morning we have worshipped you with all of our heart, soul, and spirit through our singing, through our fellowship time, through our Sunday school time together, through Children's Church. We've heard beautiful music. We've heard kind words. And now this morning, Father, let us hear your still small voice. The quietness of this place, you walk among us. You stop at each pew and touch the hearts of those that are seated there that they may hear. Just hear your voice in their ear this morning. Make very little of me, very much of you, that you may be glorified in this place. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know we've been talking about living in uh, true holiness and righteousness. We like to call it the godly living. And we we talked about very uh, first as we were uh, speaking there in verse 25 especially, we talked about that we should put away lying and, and only speak the truth uh, one to another. We move from that point to the second point that Paul was making here when he says, uh, be angry. He says, be angry, but make sure you're angry at that which God is angry at which is sin and do not let your anger lead to sin that was his uh, second point in this passage that we were to be angry yes at sin but not let it lead us to sin the third thing that we stopped and looked at last week together was the fact that it told us to to steal no longer and we talked about the fact that not not many of us if any of us now walk through a store and pick things up that we don't pay for that's Not really the point I think Paul was trying to make. I think what Paul was trying to make in the point of all that he said in the first three chapters about what God has done for us. And now as he started in chapter 4 giving us the application of that theology of Christ, that Christology in our life. This morning, he, last week he was telling us to, to still no longer and especially in relation to God. With those things that he has blessed us with and given from our time to our life, to our gifts and our talents, to no longer sit on our blessedness in the pew, as a pastor said this week to me, said, get off your blessedness and go out and bless somebody with those things that God has given you. So no longer steal, but work diligently, as Punk prayed this morning, work in the world to show the light of Christ. So that was the third point that he made this morning. We're going to try to cover the fourth and fifth points that he made. And the fourth point there, we find his put off corrupt words 
and only speak righteousness. You know, that's a tough thing for us in this world today. Put off the corrupt world words and only speak righteousness. See, because it's really easy. It's really easy for us to gain an audience if we happen to have the latest gossip. Have you ever noticed how easy it is? If you say, guess what I heard about so-and-so, you can draw a crowd in a hurry. They're willing to come hear about that for people will gather around to hear the latest news that's going on in someone's life. You see, it's really easy even to be the hit at a party at this Christmas season if you have the latest and best joke. Unfortunately, the dirtier and cruder, the better. People will gather to hear your stories and your jokes. You see, it's easy to make friends when we talk like they do and we walk like they do and we discuss the things that they discuss. It's really easy to gather to you people that like you if you say the same things that they say. But you know, it's not so easy to gather a crowd when you really speak the truth. The truth will put you in the hot seat in this world today. Look at what's gone on the last few months in our presence in this country. The very truth of things that have happened have been so spun that the truth no longer mattered. We'd rather drill up a lie about someone or a half-hearted truth, which is still a lie, and let that run front page in the paper. We have people out doing things that are so malicious that people are losing their life in the process. We're having police officers shot just for the fact they're wearing a uniform. And yet when the persons brought the trial, the blame is not laid on the person who pulled the trigger. It's laid on the world who didn't treat that person the way they thought they should be treated. The truth no longer matters in the world that we're in to the world. <laughs> Yet the truth is all that matters to God. It's all that matters to God is that truth. If we think that we can walk in this world that lives on a lie and not speak the truth and call ourselves Christians, we're fooling ourselves. We are absolutely lying to ourselves. You see, no matter how popular the truth may be, the truth is what we're called to proclaim. We're called to do it in a specific way, in a specific manner, but we're called to always stand on that truth. I find it very interesting that he says there in verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. He didn't, he didn't even give us an option to say, don't let many corrupt words, don't let... Don't let the multitude of your words be corrupt. He didn't say only let just a few corrupt words. He said let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. If we were to have a testimony time this morning and everyone was willing to tell the truth before their God, and I was to start over here on this side with Angie and work our way around and end over here with Miss Kay, I would dare say that we'd be able, each of us, to stand up and say that there has been a corrupt word that has left our lips in the last 24 hours. Anyone who would say that there hasn't been, I believe, would be guilty of another sin, which would be lying. <laughs> we all, each of us, could stand up and say that. How? How? I mean, we, we haven't necessarily gone on the news and said something about someone that we know to be untrue. We haven't necessarily uh, done all those things. But there are those things that we have said that have fallen short of the mark of what Paul tells us our words should be. You see, Paul reminds us that our speech should always be honoring to God. See, when we talk one with another, 
we should speak in such a way our God's honored. When we talk to that person that's at the cash register that is holding up the entire line because they're not really fast and we've got other places to be and we just want to get our buggy full of Christmas presents bought so we can go home and wrap. When we speak to that person, the words that leave our mouth should honor our God. When we're sitting in the line of traffic because it's long and we can't get to where we've got to be because the most important thing in our day is to make sure we're at the, the restaurant when everybody's supposed to be at the restaurant to eat. We don't want to be a minute late and we're in line and we roll down the window and we holler at that guy in front of us. The gas pedal's on the right. Get your foot off the brake. It's on the left. We should be saying things that honor God. See, when the world hears our voice, they should hear the voice of our God. See, what we say is often how we're judged. Quite often. What leaves our mouth is how the world judges us. But even more important to me, what leaves each of our mouth is what the world sees in our God. Those things that we say or how the world who doesn't know our Jesus judges our God. It's fine if they judge me to be lesser man than they think I should be. But I never want to be caught making my God less than what he is by my speech. And what he tells us is that our words really change the view our friends have of our God. How do we know that? Because he tells us that our speech reveals what should be within us. Back in the Gospel of Matthew, back in the Gospel of Matthew in that 12th chapter, down in the 31st verse, he's running to these Pharisees. And these Pharisees say, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be given men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Jesus is saying this to them. And he says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. He goes on in verse 33 to say, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. And because of all the things that the Pharisees had said in verses 22 through 30, he turns to them and says this, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Jesus himself turns to those Pharisees, those Pharisees who were so involved in the church, who were supposed to be the leadership of the church, who had so blasphemed the Holy Spirit that Jesus looked them in the eye and said, you are a brood of vipers. He says, all your religious activities, all your attendance at church, all those things that you do don't matter because of what came out of your mouth. Because what did Jesus know? What came out of their mouth came from their heart. And Jesus stops and points and says this to each one of us. What God hears you say is what's in your heart. You can only be phony to me and the others around you. You can't be phony to God. And God hears your heart. And he says, if you want a good life, you should have a good heart and out of your mouth should come good things. If you want a bad life, then out of your heart's going to come badness because that is what is there. I find it very interesting that Paul 
mentions that fact when he says, proceeding out of your mouth should be good words. And those good words are what shows who your God is to a world and shows the world your heart, which should be the heart of God. A heart that's been changed and recreated, if you remember it said in verse 24, to be a new man. You see, what really shows up in our life is what we have taken in and loved dearly in our heart. And what crosses our lips are those things that should be guarded by Jesus Christ himself. Matter of fact, over in Psalm, Psalm 141, it says this. You want to say, Pastor, I have these times in my life that things just want to come out of my mouth and I don't know how to stop those things. Well, here's the way. Psalm 141, verse, uh, verse 3, says this. Psalm 141, 3, set a guard Oh Lord, over my mouth. The psalmist says this, the psalm of David, David saying this, Oh God, oh Lord, set a guard over my mouth. And he says, do this, keep watch over the doors of my lips. You see, all things that we say should run through the filter of God's word because to set over your mouth a guard is to set in your heart the word of God. So that each and everything that you speak is filtered through that word. You see, let every word we speak come through the watcher of our lips. You know, it makes me shudder to think that the watcher of my lips is Jesus Christ. What have you said in the last 24 hours that you wish hadn't have run past Jesus Christ? See, we each have those things in our life. We each will at times say things that we shouldn't. God's forgiveness is there, yet his permission is not there to say those things. You see, if the guard over our lips is the word of Jesus Christ, those things will become less and less frequent in our life. And the things that come forth from our mouth will come out of a heart that is so filled with the word of God that we speak God's holiness even when we're at the drive-thru, even when we're at work, even when a person has offended us. Those things that come forth will be the things of Christ. And it's kind of scary to think in that passage there in Matthew, I read just a few minutes ago, it tells us, it tells us what's so important about having that guard over your heart. I read through verse 35 of Matthew chapter 12, but look at what it says in Matthew 12, 36. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. It's interesting to think about an idle word. We don't think when something's an idle that it's very dangerous. Think about your car. You didn't get here today having it in idle. You put it in drive. At some point, you may have put it in reverse to back out of your driveway. You put it in drive to drive here, and I would dare say you didn't idle all the way to church. We don't think about the idling of things being very dangerous, yet Paul takes the simplest of things when he says those words. Jesus backs it up in Matthew when he talks about what those words are. He takes the simplest of words in our life and he says an idle word men may speak. What is an idle word? An idle word oftentimes is not necessarily the word that's spoken, but the manner in which it's spoken. Someone asks you a question, you give them the right answer with a certain tilt to it that is meant to cause pain. You, 
You say the things that you think are right, but you don't say it out of love. You say it out of anger. I think an idle word can even be those things that we should say, but we keep those lips closed. What Jesus is saying there at 36, that one day you will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you will be held accountable for every idle word you've ever spoken. If that doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, you are more righteous than this pastor. You see, because we all every day say things that we never even stop and think about what they are. And Jesus himself said that you'll be accountable for those. He goes on to say, for by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. I hear people say all the time, we're not to judge each other, Pastor. It says that in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, I can take any single verse out of the Bible and make it say anything I want. The Bible also says that we should be iron sharpening iron. We should be accountable to each other in, in what we do and what we say. And I think that what Jesus is pointing to here for those who are mature in the faith, we are to hold those accountable within our midst of those idle words that they say. Quite often, things will be said we know in our heart that are not right. And we'll laugh. We'll say nothing. We'll walk away. But what we won't do is say, do you know that word that just left your lips, you're now accountable for before a holy God. We'll let the person stand there and sin against our holy God and never bring to their attention because not everyone understands what those words are. You see, it is our duty as brothers and sisters in Christ to hold each other accountable. That's why the Bible says we're of one accord. If you had one part of your body, say your right hand, that just constantly decided to slap you beside the face every day while your left hand was nice enough that it would brush your hair down really nice, would you some point in time want to tell your right hand to quit slapping you beside the face? Would you? It's a part of your body just like the left hand. Why should I get on the right hand and not say anything to the left hand? I wouldn't want to offend the right hand, would I? But yet I'll let the right hand continue to do those things that are against the body. See, each of us, I think, are held accountable for each other in the body. For that fruit that grows on each of our trees should be fertilized and watered and groomed. The tree should be groomed by their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. How is that done? Back over in Ephesians. Back over in Ephesians, he tells us how that is done. He says in Ephesians 4, 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. What does it mean to edify? To lift up. To build up. Edification also can come in the form of rebuke or chastisement. Because by Rebuking or chastising those who are walking a path other than the path that are laid before them by Jesus Christ, you are actually lifting up not only that person, you are lifting up the body of Christ. He says, do it so that you may edify the ones that are next to you. I thought about doing an exercise this morning, but you're so quiet, we won't. I thought about asking you to turn to all the neighbors sitting around you this morning and say, you know what, I love you and God loves you. 
But you know what I know about that exercise? For some of you, it'd be difficult. There's never been anybody in your life that's looked you dead in the eye and with all sincereness looked at you and said, I love you. And you knew that they truly loved you. And because of the fact that that's never been spoken into your life, you have a difficult time speaking that into the life of another person. There are some of you here this morning that attend church faithfully every Sunday, every Wednesday, and and you profess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But if you really stopped and thought about it, you're not really sure He loves you. Because of the things that you do in your life, you feel like God's love's not there. Yes, you could probably turn to that person next to you and say, I love you, and Jesus loves you, God loves you. You turn to the other, I love you, Jesus loves you, God loves you. And you turn back around and say, next point, Pastor. That's not edification. Edification is when you look directly into a person's life and says, I love you. My God loves you. Jesus died upon a cross for your sins, and he has forgiveness for you. And mean it. You see, edifying is lifting up, whether it be through chastisement, rebuke, instruction from the word, or just from placing an arm around a fellow brother and sister in Christ that you know even this time of the year is difficult in their life because of the season, because of death that has happened in their family, and you're willing to place an arm around them and say, you know what, nobody else on the face of this earth may love you, but I do. Think about the difference in the church if we loved each other and spoke that into the lives of each person in this church. And how are we to do that? He goes on to say that we are to do that by imparting grace to the hearers. Have you ever thought that by speaking words into the life of your brother and sister in Christ, even into the life of that unsaved person, by speaking God's love into their life, you are imparting to them grace? And if you remember your life before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you remember the time where you lived in objection to God and it was only by grace that you were saved through faith by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's only by grace of a holy God that we are who we are today. Think about it. Every time you speak to that brother and sister in Christ, that person at the store, the guy that you know is unsaved, that you're able to speak grace into their life. How many of you are so compassionate about the lost being saved that you would love to see the grace of God fall upon everyone you know that's not saved? Family, friends, neighbors, co-workers. Would you like to know the grace of God would fall upon them and they would come to believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior? Oftentimes it starts with edification and the speaking of grace into their life by a believer. It's very rare that there's an Emmaus Road experience in a lost person's life. Generally, it's done by God through his body to a world that's lost and dying by edifying them, by speaking into their heart the grace of God. He says that we are to grace each hearer. Colossians very quickly. Colossians 4, chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 6 says this. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. 
Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. When I see that phrase, seasoned with salt, I think of two things. Salt has two things that it accomplishes in what we use it for and in this world today because we are called to be the salt and the light to a lost and dying world. Salt does uh, two things in in this world that we live in. Uh, Number one, salt flavors the world. You think you don't add salt to meat just because you want salt in your meat. You add salt to meat because that's what makes it flavorful. Every time I cook at the house, you know what my wife does? Bless her beautiful little heart. I could spend hours in the kitchen cooking. I don't, but I could. To spend hours in the kitchen cooking, and she'll go in there. I'll even fix her plate for her. So there's your plate, honey. Your husband's such a great guy. He loves you so much. He fixed your plate. You know what she does? She picks up her plate, never tastes it, reaches over on the counter, picks up the salt shaker, and she salts it. It's the first thing she does. How many of you are a pre-salter? Anybody a pre-salter? Yeah, see, there's a couple in the back that are pre-salters. You never taste it. The first thing you do is salt it. Some of us, like myself, I taste it, and if it needs salt, I add it. But the point being, the salt is added because we like the flavor. Our speech should be added to this world so that it is flavored to be like Christ. That's the first thing I think about when I, when I see that it's, it's salt. The second thing that salt does is it preserves. You know, in the old days, before refrigeration, we used to salt everything. We would hang it up outside and let it salt cure. Remember, what? who likes salt cured ham? Anybody other than me? Yeah, some of you soak it, don't you, to get the saltiness out of it. Anybody do that? I, I don't. I just like to eat it with the salt on it and then drink a whole lot of water because your lips are all drawn up. You know. Uh, but we use it to preserve things so it doesn't rot. Have you ever thought that not only is your speech to the world a flavoring to the world of Jesus Christ, but it's your speech to the world that will save the world from rotting? Have you ever thought that the words that you speak to that person at the counter that has so infuriated you by their slowness, that the words that you speak could be their preservation from death and rot? That's what he's saying. He said that we should speak in such a way that we glorify God. He even goes on in verse 30 to say this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. A lot of folks think, well, grieving the Holy Spirit is saying his name in vain, this and that. That doesn't even come close to fitting in the context of what we're talking about. In the context of what we're talking about, when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, it immediately follows the fact that we shouldn't speak corrupt words. You want to tie the two together? It says this, when you say things you shouldn't say that don't lift God up but tear God down, you're making the Holy Spirit angry. Because it is the Holy Spirit which lives within you that changes the heart that you have into a heart of godliness. And out of the mouth comes that which he has changed inside of you. He's saying, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you remember in Ephesians 1.13, he told us that... In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the stamp that was placed upon you to seal you in your salvation was the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to do those things corruptly, to say corrupt things, to not speak grace into the life of those around you, grieves the Holy Spirit. He reminds us there by whom you were sealed at your day of redemption. So that's the fourth thing. Very quickly, the fifth thing that he tells us, the fifth point in this passage, is he says we are to put off our old vices and we're to love one another. Where does he say that? Verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, speaking, uh, evil speaking, 
be put away from you with all malice. He says this, no longer desire to be bitter, no longer desire to be wrathful, no longer desire to be angry, no longer be clamorous or loud uh, quarrelers, no longer be evil speakers, no longer be malicious. Do all things with gusto, but only do those things with gusto that are honoring to your God. See, all of those characteristics right there are the characteristics of the unregenerate man. You think about it. Someone who's always bitter at other people, at the world, at life in general. Are they generally going to be the Christians? I think not. Those who have wrath and anger, who always want to get back at someone for what they've done. Is that a Christian? For those who clamor or do the, the loud quarreling as to be seen and, and how they've been wronged. Or even those who evil speak. Are those Christians? Yet here's the scary thing. Look around our churches today. There's a lot of folks we can hang those labels on. We even see it on national television. Pastors get up and display those characteristics to a lost and dying world. And we wonder why people aren't coming to know our Jesus. They already live like that. Why do they need to know my Jesus to live like that? He's saying, put those things away. For there are characteristics of an unregenerate man. What, what then, if we are to put those things away, what then are we supposed to put on? He says in verse 32, and be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. He says even be tenderhearted. Here's the biggie. Forgiving one another. He's saying put away those things like the world. Live. And be kind. Be tenderhearted. Have compassion. Be forgiving. There's several places. Shortness of time. This morning we won't have time. But if you'll flip with me very quickly to Romans Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. As, as they're writing here, talking about God's righteous judgment in the, in the fourth verse of chapter 2. He says this, Or do you despise the riches of goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Have you ever thought about what led you to your knees to repent of your sin and ask for forgiveness? Was it wrath, malice, anger, clamorous, loud controversy? Was it evil speaking? Or was it love? Was it kindness? Was it tenderheartedness? See, because those are the picture that Christ laid out before us it is Christ's kindness toward us that led us to our repentance. You see, God had every right to look down from heaven and say, Roger, you are disgusting. You don't deserve salvation. The things you have chosen to do, you need to spend eternity in hell. He could have looked down from the throne of grace and rightly condemned me for eternity in a place called hell. Yet he so loved me through the precious outstretched arms of his only begotten son. That he saved me from the pit of hell and gave me a new home in a place called heaven. Instead of wrath, he gave me love. 
He gave me the opportunity through his tender heart to come to know him. See, Jesus said over in Matthew when he was looking out at the crowd in Matthew, the ninth chapter, the 36th verse, he said, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. He goes on to tell the disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray to the God of the harvest that there may be many labors that come. When Jesus looked out at the lost, which each one of us were at some point in time in our life, For the Bible says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all fall in that crowd that Jesus looked at and said with compassion, they don't have a shepherd. He goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. He tells the disciples, you go tell them there is a shepherd who has arrived. And it's this season we celebrate that shepherd in the manger. See, we are to have that tender-hearted compassion for the lost Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Go home and read it whenever you get home this afternoon. But Matthew 18, 21 through 35 is probably the greatest passage on forgiveness that has ever been preached. And it's where Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive? Because Paul said there that part of our new nature should be forgiveness. Peter asked Jesus How often should I forgive? And what did Jesus tell him? I don't say that you do it seven times as you have asked. (laughs) He says 70 times seven. Was he given an actual number? No. It was a way of expressing you can't count how many times you should forgive. I ask you, church, how many times are you willing to forgive that one who's hurt you? How often are you willing to forgive those who don't see things quite like you see them. How often are you willing to forgive those that you think have wronged you? You see, for Jesus said that he forgave us. He forgave us for everything. He forgave us for everything before we ever asked. See, when Jesus crawled upon the cross, I was yet to have been born. Yet when he crawled upon the cross and they drove the nail in his hand, the hammer that drove the nail in his hand was my sin. When they shoved the crown of thorns down upon his head, the thorns in that crown were my sin. When he hung naked before the world, and they spit upon him, and they spoke ugly to him, that was me spitting on him. See, when Jesus crawled upon that cross with his outstretched arms, it wasn't to get me back because of what I had done. It was to get me back in spite of what I had done. Church, we are called to forgive and to love one another. How do I know that? Paul ends in this section of Ephesians chapter 4. The very last thing he said is, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And he reminds us how we are to do that. Even as God in Christ forgave you. What have we offered forgiveness in the same abundance that God offered us forgiveness? What if the world saw the church forgiven instead of fighting? What what if we actually lived like we've been forgiven? What if every word that we said, every action that we did, 
was because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our life. See, we celebrated this season the birth of a baby. The birth of a baby that didn't come to just be a baby. He came to be your forgiveness. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now responsible for being forgiving just as Christ was for you. In this season, let's not forget Paul's admonishment to us to be kind to one another, to be tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.